The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Just for me and you. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
I'll begin reading for you in verse 22. Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have arisen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth. 
Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here, keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away, and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with with a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And then Psalm 69, verses 20 and 21. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. This week I've given two lessons on prayer. 
the first, the model of the Old Testament, as you turn your back on the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you stand with your back to the sun, your back to prosperity, and you go to the altar of burnt offering, and there the lamb is slain, sins confessed upon its head, and the lamb is then placed on the altar of burnt offering. What we're reading today is Jesus coming to the altar of burnt offering. And he is the lamb that is to be slain. He is the atoning sacrifice. Now it's to this same altar of burnt offering that we are called to go. Remember, remember what the apostle what the Apostle Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He has already been to the altar of burnt offering. He is now crucified with Christ. These two lessons, first, the Old Testament model, and secondly, the Lord's Prayer. Yesterday, for that lesson, I titled the broadcast... Abba, Father. Very few of you listened to that broadcast. It was, in fact, one of the lowest days for a YouTube video. I didn't think they could go any lower, but yesterday did. But I understand. You see, we face a problem. And the problem we face is that we think we know the story. So it's hard to hear with freshness. What we think we know is our greatest problem. There is what I call the gap dragon. That is the gap between what we think we know and how we actually live. Now, these two problems block us from the prayer closet. So I have asked our producer, and I have asked Brother Ed to change the title of yesterday's broadcast. Instead of Abba, Father, I've asked them to title it The Most Dangerous Prayer the most dangerous prayer. You'll see why as I walk with you now through the third day on prayer. One man said to me, Pastor, you're going to teach on prayer? I'm so tired of hearing people talk about prayer. I said, no, no, 
You've never heard prayer talked about like I'm going to talk about it this week. Prayer is not just the opening of the heart to a friend. It is that, but it's much more than that. I want to define for you the term theology. Theology has been typically defined, as it was for me when I went to seminary, as the study of God. That definition is woefully inadequate. For you see, you can't put God under a microscope. You can't study God. He is beyond our ability to study. I want to suggest another definition of theology. First, theology is a confession of truth. It is looking at the scriptures and seeing what is said and confessing that that is truth. It is not what I think. It is not what I feel. It's what the facts dictate as we look at what God has done for us and what God has done in us. So theology, first and foremost, is a confession of truth. Secondly, theology requires our reflection, our meditation on that truth. It requires that we open our heart and compare that truth with our behavior. If theology does not change our behavior, it is false theology. And then number three, the term theology means that I will put into practice I will walk in obedience to what I have reflected upon and what has become very clear to me by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You cannot understand theology. You cannot understand theology without the Holy Spirit. He is the one sent to teach us the truth. And the truth is radical. It is uncomfortable. The truth requires crucifixion. It requires Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It requires our coming to the altar of burnt offering, even as Jesus did, and laying our lives down to become a living sacrifice before Almighty God. It requires that we turn our back on the world, the ways of the world, all of the practices of the world. It requires a separation from the world and a uniting with Jesus Christ. And so theology is first and foremost a confession of truth. 
It is reflection and meditation upon that truth. And then it is practicing that truth, walking in obedience before God regarding that truth, regardless of where that truth leads you. Now let's come back. I want to walk with you through the scripture that I have just shared with you regarding Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, Jesus came to that garden and he did not want to be crucified. Gethsemane was an olive grove on the Mount of Olives. I've been there. I've prayed there. I've wept there. On the rock they believe Jesus knelt on. Some of the olive trees are still there today, 2,000 years later. But it wasn't just an olive grove. It was an olive oil processing center. Gethsemane literally means a place of crushing. The Gethsemane stone was held up by a large timber. Underneath the Gethsemane stone placed burlap bags full of olives. Slowly that Gethsemane stone was lowered on those bags of olives and they were crushed. There would be no olive oil without the crushing of the olive. So literally, Gethsemane means a place of crushing. It is the place where we come to the utter end of ourselves and face honestly the altar of burnt offering. Jesus facing that Gethsemane, the cross, is in deep, deep distress. We're told in Luke twenty-two, thirty-nine, that this was a place Jesus had gone many times before with his disciples. Angels that night had to come and strengthen him. Sweat like drops of blood came from his forehead. The disciples, however, were exhausted by sorrow. And the scriptures tell us they slept. Jesus begins to pray because he is being sent on a course that will separate him from his father. And that knowledge of becoming a sin offering, the knowledge that he was to be crucified as a, as a lamb of God, crushed his heart. It broke his heart. 
somehow we've been able to leave the presence of the Father with casualness. We've been able to live separate from the Father and from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit. While Jesus was utterly crushed by the thought of leaving the presence of his Father, what is it that that crushes us today? The loss of a job? the loss of our company. The lack of money. Sickness. Blindness. Disease. A loss of security where we don't know where we'll be tomorrow. Our family becoming angry and turning against us and treating us very poorly. Friends who desert us? A lifestyle ripped away from us. And we don't know how we will live. These are the things that crush the human heart. But for Jesus, none of those things were crushing. What was crushing to Jesus was the very thought of leaving the presence of the Father and being separated from the Father and from the Holy Spirit. He could not bear that. It was not the physical pain, even though that was a factor. It was not the shame and the scorn, even though that too was a factor. There was no one there to comfort him. The disciples were not a comfort to him. Oh, how I wish... Peter had been able to go to Jesus and cradle him in his arms and pray for strength for Jesus. The grandest opportunity the human heart has ever been granted to comfort the Lord Jesus, to comfort God. And instead, they slept. They slept. While Jesus prayed, he didn't pray just once. He prayed over and over the same prayer. Lord, Father, Abba, Daddy. He started his prayer the same way I titled yesterday's broadcast. Abba, Father, Daddy. Take this cup from me. But your will be done. We go to the altar burnt offering. We come to the utter end of ourselves. When we finally begin to pray, not my will, but your will, O God. Not my will, your will, O God, as we face our own death, our own crucifixion. Jesus reached in that Garden of Gethsemane 
his absolute limit with God. He could not go any further. He was going to die physically before the crucifixion from a broken heart. He could not go any further. He was at the utter end. Have you ever been at the utter end? I'm there today again. I'm at the utter end with this radio. I'm at the utter end with my ministry. I'm at the utter end. I can't go any further. I don't have any strength or any ability to do what must be done. I'm at my limit with God. The Lord God of heaven wants to take every one of us to our limit where we have to confess. I can't go any further. I can't do any more. I can't give any more. Everything is on the altar. I can't. When Jesus reached his absolute limit with God, he said, not my will, but yours. Your will is my will, Father. Jesus' response to coming to the absolute end of himself was to sweat blood and to weep, to cry, to loudly wail, and then to absolutely submit himself to the will of God by praying and trusting and obeying. The human response to coming to the end of ourself is to go to sleep, to be exhausted, to run, to flee, to become depressed and discouraged and hopeless. For some, it is the rising up of bitter anger in the heart. Angry that God would dare bring us to the end of ourself. Jesus' response. Tears. Submission. Praying. Trusting. Obedience. I recognize that I am at the end of myself, and the Lord has promised me that something is going to take place that's going to take me into a whole new realm, and I am waiting upon him for that. This morning I've been crying out to the Lord all morning, saying, Lord, I am waiting upon you. For I know you are taking me to a place I've never been before. I know you're sending your Holy Spirit in mighty power. You see, I either have to do that or I get angry and go into depression and discouragement and say, this is hopeless. I might as well quit. No, are you kidding me? Never will I quit. 
I will die before I quit. Because the human response is not an adequate response to God's call. Do you remember there were wonderful men of God who were brought to the end of themselves? Remember Job? Job was brought to the utter, utter end of his ability. And they said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And his response was, I know I will see the living God in my flesh. The Lord gives and the Lord takes, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you remember Elijah? Lord, I'm no better than my forefathers. You might as well just take my life. I can't go any further. When Elijah could not go any further, what did God do? God fed him the bread of heaven, gave him water to drink. And he traveled 40 days to the Mount of God. He didn't go back to home. He didn't go back to the brook. He didn't go back to Mount Carmel and remember the past. He went straight forward to the mountain of God. And God there strengthened him and gave him assignments. And for another 20 years, he ministered in power and authority that he had never before known. Remember Abraham. Abraham was brought to the utter end of himself when the Lord said, Now take take your son, your only son, and go to the place I will show you and offer him there as a burnt offering. It cost him his wife. She left. Sarai left him. But he went to that mountain and he put his son on the altar of burnt offering. He raised the knife and the Lord said, No, stop. Don't touch the boy. And on the mountain of God, a ram was provided. Jesus is the sacrifice. But let's go back. Let's go back to the New Testament where we started. Peter. Peter denying Jesus. And some of us remember that Peter denied Jesus. And in our minds, we've kind of put a check beside his name. He's a denier. Oh, but do you know how he ended? Extra biblical history tells us that Peter was crucified. But first his wife was put on the cross and she was crucified with him watching. And as she was crucified, he was encouraging her and saying, we will have a crown of victory. Expressing to her his great confidence in the Lord as she was torn and crucified. And then it was Peter's turn. And he said, don't crucify me. 
the way my master was crucified. I'm unworthy. Crucify me upside down. And that's what they did to him. It is the purpose of God in our prayer to bring us to the end of ourself. Now let me be very frank and very honest. Most of you have never come to the end of yourself because you have never really prayed. The devil has kept his hand over your mouth. He's kept you entertained. He's kept you distracted with theology or with churchanity or with some other foolishness. And you've never gone to the place of crushing. All prayer, if pursued, will end up bringing us to the place of crushing where we are brought to a place where the Gethsemane stone is lowered on our life and we lose everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. Today we have a, a cold-hearted or lukewarm church filled with worldliness. Most who are in the church aren't even saved. They're still walking in sin and disobedience and rebellion against the Most High, still loving the world, the flesh, and the devil, but calling themselves Christians. This has to change, and the only way it's going to change is if you begin to be serious about Jesus and you begin to pray, because when you pray, the Holy Spirit will bring you to the elf. How can I be loved by the world? And walk with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10.32, All men will hate you. 7.13 and 14, he talks about the narrow path. He talks about overcoming the world. Not of the world. So I want to ask you today. Have you come yet to the end of your limit with God and with life? When you come to the end, some people choose suicide, which is the cowardly way out. Some people choose to get exceedingly depressed and discouraged. Some run away to some pleasant place or some pleasant occupation. Some just get angry. Angry at people, angry at God, angry at the world. Some people strike out against their family. They strike out against their Lord. They strike out against their pastor. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus' response was to weep before God because the pain is real. The anguish of heart is real. 
If you come to the altar burn offering, as we learned on Tuesday, the first step will be to confess your sin. That will require a great act of courage on your part where you utterly and completely examine your life and confess every part that is flowing out of your flesh, out of the world, out of the devil, and it will require an absolute renunciation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It will require such excruciating honesty to take responsibility for your sin. Honest prayer will not allow you to blame another for your condition. You are responsible for your own face. You are responsible for how you choose to do your life. You are not a victim. Honest prayer demands that we leave behind everything of entitlement and everything of being a victim. God owes me nothing, and I owe God everything. And I am not a victim. I am responsible for my own life and how I respond to the circumstances that come into my life. I come to that altar of burnt offering, or I come to the Garden of Gethsemane. I come to the Lord's Prayer. And I ask that His will be done in my life, not my will. It requires a total and complete surrender of my future. It requires that I carefully look at the plans I have for my life and ask the question, are these the plans God has outlined for me or are these the plans that I've figured out because they will get me a certain lifestyle? Does your life belong to you? Or does that life belong to Jesus Christ? When you come to the prayer closet, the direction Jesus gave was to close the door. And what you do in private will be revealed in public. Why do you do it in private? because it's going to require honest confession of your condition between you and God. And as you deal in that place with the reality of who you truly are in your flesh, you will begin to be brought by the Holy Spirit to the place called Gethsemane. The Holy Spirit will not flow in your life until you have been crushed and you have come to the end of you. I'm speaking out of my own experience. 
I can't go further. And all the Lord would say to me this morning was, wait upon me. Wait upon the Lord. Yes, sir. I will wait upon you. It's in that place of waiting that the most painful crushing takes place. Now it's required that we do exactly what Jesus did. And that is to pray through until in the crucifixion we finally say it's finished. I'm through. My old life is over. I have been made new in the likeness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come. And we then by faith grasp a hold of the grace offered to us. And we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. All of this happens in the prayer closet. It's in that place where we finally say, It is finished. And then great peace and rejoicing fills our heart. And we go with joy to face the world, the flesh, and the devil in the battle for eternity. Taking up the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. It's, it's then the battle begins and the suffering begins. Life with Christ in this world will be a life of suffering for the cross of Jesus. The battle is fierce. And once more, it requires much time in the prayer closet, getting our orders directly from heaven. Not what we think we know, not what we think we're supposed to know, not what we think we're supposed to do. Get the orders fresh from Jesus. Have you prayed through? I have. I can't go any further in my physical strength or flesh. I can't strategize to go to the FM dial or to go national with radio. I can't do it. Oh, I could try and I might even succeed, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't be there. It'd be flesh. So I wait on the Lord in peace and joy. These are the lessons of the prayer closet. This is not, now I lay me down to sleep, little child's prayer time. What I'm talking about is wartime in the prayer closet.
You do this first in your own life. And then you go to the prayer closet to war for others. And for the work of the gospel. Talking about the work of the gospel, let me share with you quickly before we pray. The month of May is closing this week. And we had pledges to cover the entire amount that is due for this month. And then one of our one of our listeners who had a pledge of $400 contacted me and they are sick and they are unable to give that $400. So we are yet short for the month of May $400. Would you be willing to step forward and give that $400? If you are, would you just quickly call my producer right now? He's there. And just make a quick call and tell him, yes, I'll cover that $400 or I'll cover 200 of it or whatever you can cover. I'm not going to take a day for an offertory. Tomorrow we're going to pray. A call-in prayer day. But you could call right now this number and and say to our producer, Drew, brother, this is how much I can give this month to cover this 400 shortfall. 877-534-0780. Again, that number, 877-534-0780. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so, I am so happy in my heart that you were willing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and there model prayer for us that we too would know how to die and be crucified with you. Lord, the church has taken prayer so casually. I have taken it so casually, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would call us to the Garden of Gethsemane, that we would no longer bore you with our worldly prayers and our cheap thoughts, that instead we would come and get our orders straight from you, Jesus. Orders to pray this or that, orders to take this action or to stop doing whatever we're doing. But Lord, even more importantly, that we would come and get our direction for how to pray and how to die and how to be crucified with you and how to walk in the power of your Spirit in a place we've never before walked. For, Lord, I know you are bringing something absolutely new to the Christian church. I know we're right on the verge of the great awakening and revival that will sweep many, many thousands into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, teach us now to pray to be willing to pay the price of real prayer. 
Lord, I thank you and I worship you. I pray that this message honored your name, Jesus, and that many who hear will go to the prayer closet and face the deadness and the stillness of their own heart until they are set aflame by your Holy Spirit and made into new creatures in you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. You can go online, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there the videos and podcasts are available. You can also give online. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jesus.